grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God that we'll be considering this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 66, which reads, At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. This is the word of our Lord, my brothers and sisters in Christ. The Jewish religious leaders had just finished their nighttime trial of Jesus, And if anyone had been watching that trial from an objective viewpoint, they would have never considered that that was a legitimate trial or that Jesus was actually guilty. But those who presided over the trial conveniently dismissed that inconvenient truth where they not only found Jesus guilty of death, but in general they acted like a bunch of wild animals where they beat on Jesus, where they spit on him, and they mocked him with hate-filled words. And once the night was over, they had a moment to compose themselves, to put back on their false frowny faces, and to hold another trial. But wait, didn't they just have a trial of Jesus? Why were they having another trial of Jesus this time at daybreak? Well, they did have a trial, but at the same time, they also did not have a trial. Here's what I mean by this. You see, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, was not allowed to legally meet at night, possibly to prevent the very thing that had just happened the night before. And because that they had just had an off-the-books trial, the conviction that came out of it was not legally binding. And so when daybreak came across, what were they quick to do? to convene a trial that could be official, with an official conviction on top of it. But this trial that happened at nighttime, you see, was held on the cover of darkness in more ways than just one. In addition to being under the cover of physical darkness, there were also certain members of that group of the Sanhedrin who had been purposely left out from attending it. People who would probably have questioned the legality of this happening in the first place, or the logic behind a guilty verdict against Jesus. And as we know, you're not likely to try such shady behavior under the sun of the broad daylight. It's at nighttime you try to get away with things, or at least you're more likely to try to get away with things. But since that trial had not been legally binding, so the Sanhedrin took it upon themselves to reconvene a brand new trial come daylight. And it became very clear In the words of one author, that these Sanhedrin leaders, that they were extremely anxious about maintaining a semblance of legality. Part of the reason why they were so anxious to have that semblance of legality was to cover all of their bases, to prepare for every eventuality. You see, the Sanhedrin, they didn't want men like Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus to raise questions men who were also Christians and were on that Sanhedrin. It's very likely that neither of these men were even made aware of that nighttime trial or the verdict that came out of it. And the last thing that this Sanhedrin would have wanted was one of those two men knocking up on Pilate's house and letting him know that the guilty verdict against Jesus was technically not actually binding, that it was not a real verdict. And could you imagine having your whole case against Jesus being thrown out of court because of a mere technicality? Because the court was held at the wrong time of day. 
But when we look at the Sanhedrin, it seems that in their dealings with Pilate that they were much more concerned about maintaining that semblance of legality because they were afraid that was going to be thrown on technicality, not on the plain truth that this was entirely a sham and a farce. See, even Pilate himself, as he would go on to say, he did not find Jesus guilty of anything worthy of death. And yet, when this, with his symbolic washing of hands, not only does Pilate show himself to be more concerned about a semblance of legality and possibly even plausible deniability, he was more concerned about doing this, of what seemed to be right instead of what was actually right, instead of holding up the actual truth. But I think there's another reason why the Sanhedrin was so anxious to maintain a semblance of legality. Not just so they could carry out their evil deeds in the broad daylight before all people, but so that they could be praised for it. That they could say that they were simply doing their job, that they were simply going by the book. And after all, what's more noble than just simply doing your job, what has been expected of you, especially if your job requires keeping law and order? or executing criminal justice. Why, from the looks of it, from those outside of this proceeding here, seeing the Sanhedrin were noble men doing the, the task that nobody wants to do for the sake of the greater good, for the common people. It's been said that patriotism is the last scoundrel for the refuge, or is the last refuge for the scoundrel. I got my words mixed up there. And that's not to say that patriotism in and of itself is, is wrong, but false patriotism is. That is, when somebody wraps themselves up in their country's flag to commit evil and heinous acts, all the while being praised for what is supposedly for the good of the country or the people that they're serving. And the Sanhedrin were certainly doing that false patriotism, taking upon this noble task of condemning Jesus to death for the sake of their beloved nation. Remember back to how high priest Caiaphas said that it was better for the one man, Jesus, to die so as to preserve the Jewish people. A little bit ago, I said to the Sanhedrin that they were making sure that they did things by the book. That's a phrase that we use often enough in our own culture, uh, referring to the, the rules and regulations that an organization uses to make sure that it's actually doing what it needs to be doing. And such things are indeed good. They're there for a good reason. So that things can be done, as the Bible says, in a fitting and orderly way. But if patriotism can become the last refuge for a scoundrel, so can even things like a book's rules and regulations. Perhaps you're familiar with one such book, such as Robert's Rules of Orders, which govern any number of organizations, including even our own Grace Church at our official voters' meetings. But in the hands of a bully, these rules and regulations can be used to push people around. Yes, order is kept. Yes, things are done in a, in, 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 in a logical way, but there's no love behind it. It's being done without that decency of love or care for the person. And it's in keeping the rules and the regulations that we see a justification for the lack of love. And it's here again that the Sanhedrin, we see them maintain that semblance of legality and using the book's rules and regulations to pursue their own evil agenda. After all, why were they quick to convene that daybreak trial? 
to get official what they had determined the night before. And it wasn't long after this daybreak trial that we see the Sanhedrin once again showing how they were super concerned about maintaining certain rules and regulations. When they went up to Pilate's residence and they told him that they were demanding for Jesus' death, they made Pilate come out to them. Because they had determined that if they would set foot in a Gentile's house, that they would be ceremonially unclean, unable to participate in the upcoming Passover celebrations. And although they had no qualms in bullying Pilate to sign off on their conspired verdict, they made sure to follow this law, that of staying ceremonially clean for what was happening just later that same day. We can understand where the Sanhedrin's coming from, this priority to maintain a semblance of legality. Because in many ways, maintaining that semblance is a whole lot easier than to maintain actual legality, true obedience, true morality. Because to, to maintain that semblance of legality, you can choose when you want to do it on your own time, in those areas of life that you don't mind playing by the book or by doing what is right. But to maintain true obedience, which is what God demands in his word, well, that's a whole lot harder. It has to be done in every area of life and at all times. And that is not easy. But not only is maintaining a semblance of legality easier, it also can be more pleasurable in the moment itself. Because it's the just do some things, or at least some things by the book, and everyone will assume that everything else that you do is good and above board and that it is all fine and dandy. But you see, true Christianity is not about doing things by the book. Now before we go too far, let's make sure we're understanding what is meant and what is not meant by doing things by the book. By doing things by the book, in fact, it can be a good thing. It could even be Christ-like. When Pastor Parsons is out here preaching on a future up, uh, upcoming Wednesday service, you'll get to hear what Jesus meant when he said, I will keep the Passover and all the bits of God's law that Jesus kept. And that certainly was a very good thing that he did for us. But when I say that Christianity, true Christianity, is not about doing things by the book, what I mean is this. It's not just simply doing the bare requirements or the bare minimum of what has been outlined in God's word. So that you can't be accused of breaking section 4, article 5, sub little b with the little 4 after it kind of idea there. No, you see, true Christianity is about what you are not legally bound to do. We look at Jesus. Jesus was legally bound not to murder anybody. And that's why he didn't pick up that sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and fight off those who were coming to arrest him. But Jesus was not legally bound to help that servant whose ear got cut off by Peter. And yet he did so. You see, true Christianity is about showing love to our neighbor. That looks not just the letter of the law, what is required by the rules and regulations, but the spirit of the law and the purpose for which that law serves. But those who are simply interested in maintaining a semblance of legality, they care not for that spirit. They care not for that purpose. Unless, of course, it can be perverted. It can be twisted to serve their own evil agenda. And I think that if we were being honest with ourselves, 
we would see that we often have more in mind maintaining that false semblance of legality than it is to maintain true Christianity. Because for one, it's easier. We know, we make sure that people see all the good things that we do so that they give us that leeway so we can slink about in the, in, in, in the sinful shadows. We know from firsthand experience that if people see us do some things that are good, we'll assume that everything that we do is good and right and just in everybody's sight. But God knows. God knew what was happening with this, uh, um, this dog and pony show that the Sanhedrin was putting on at this daybreak trial. He saw for what it truly was. Not legal in any sense. It was evil, sinful, oppressive. God also knows our own sins. How well we have lived or not lived according to the book itself and all that it says with his true Christianity. God knows our own hearts and how well our attitudes have matched up with what seems to be doing good with our own hands. But God also knows Jesus. He knows Jesus' actions, which were completely by the book in every single way, as we will continue to see in our upcoming midweek Lenten services. God knew Jesus' heart that loved his neighbor not so he could look good in front of other people and be applauded for it, but simply because he cared for them, because he loved them. God knew that everything Jesus did was in perfect legality and in perfect love. And God knew that Jesus did this for you and in your place so that you can have his righteousness and holiness. It is this righteousness, holiness that we have received because of what he has done for us on that cross as we are beginning our journey to Calvary to see what great love our Savior has shown to us. And because we have this holiness, we don't need to strive for a false sense of legality, a false sense of holiness, because we're holy right now in God's own sight. Instead, we can put our eyes and our hearts to something that is far greater and far higher. True Christianity. To love our neighbor out of love for them. And we do so with a heart. A heart that is filled with thanks for what our Lord has done for us. May our Lord help us to always show our love to our neighbor and to have a true sense of legality. Not because we have to, but because we get to. As we are reviewing in this Lenten season. Amen.